all, my name is Jacob, and this is Podcast on Germany. Now, before we get to today's episode, I wanted to take a minute and talk to you about a new podcast that I recently have found. It's called the Forgotten History Podcast, and it's actually really fascinating. If you have a chance, go over and check them out. Their website is theforgottenpodcast.wordpress.com. His last season was about Joseph Patrick Kennedy Sr., who is considered the founding father of the Kennedy dynasty. This will eventually lead to JFK's election as president and his and his brother's death. For his first season, he covered the life of von Genasnow, a Prussian officer who would actually fight in the American Revolution and then come home to defend Prussia in its time of need as Napoleon's rise and fall to power threatened to end Prussia's existence. So if you're looking to explore more into unknown areas of history, or at least areas that aren't covered in your main classes, I suggest giving him a chance. If you do decide that you'd like to try him out, send him a message, tell him how excited you are about listening to his podcasts, and let him know who sent you. Now, back to our show. This episode is a special one, as it is our winner's choice from the November Challenge. If you remember, we had a competition back in November on who could get the most followers within the month. Well, the winner for the November challenge was Ashley, and she has asked for the history of Grand Caverns, which is a tour cave located within the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia in the town of Grados. Now, you're probably wondering, how can you do an episode on a cave? But, surprisingly, this cave has a lot of important ties to history. This cave will play a large role in the history of the valley, and it will involve presidents, it will involve fighting, and it will involve a very scary adventure. Maybe some ghosts. So, let's begin our journey from when the cave was first discovered. This cave has been hidden in the valley for the early settlements. No one knew that there was any such beautiful caverns located within the hillside. They will find its sister just a little bit north of it called Madison Cave first. Now Madison Cave has the significance of having three different presidents visiting it and actually signing it. Washington, Madison, and Jefferson have their signatures located within the cave. Today you can actually go and find a map of Madison Cave created by Thomas Jefferson. Now, Madison Cave will be used for saltpeter and will actually be a tour cave on its own before someone tries to steal George Washington's signature. Some people just have to ruin it for everyone. Nowadays, Madison Cave is closed off to the public. In 1804, Madison Cave was thought to be the only cave in the hills. However, a boy of 17 was checking his traps when he found a small hole on the hillside. Crawling into the hole, clearly he had never seen any horror movies, crawling into the hole, he discovered the cave and became the first person in history to ever enter Grand Caverns. His name? Bernard Weirs. Now, Bernard explored the cave a little before crawling back out and going to find the owner of the land, a man by the name of Matthias Amund. Weir informed him of his discovery 
and then spread the word among the fellow settlers in the area. And Amun, owning the land, decided to name the cave after himself, Amun Cave. He began to explore the cave and to actually expand upon the entrance that we had found in order to allow more people to visit. Despite Amun's attempts to name the cave after himself, the people in the area decided that Weir deserved that honor for finding the cave in the first place, and thus it became known as Weir's Cave. Weir doesn't just get a cave named after himself, but the town nearby, after spending two years working to expand the entrance and creating paths, Amun opened the cave to the public, making Weir's Cave open for tours in 1806. Having opened in 1806 and still in business in 2019 makes it the oldest open tour cave in the United States. The cave became a major tourist site for all of Virginia and even for D.C. as officials would come down to tour the cave. Now, not all of these trips would go off without a hitch. There's a story that in the 18-teens, a French official came down from D.C. in order to get a tour of the cave. Because of his high stature, he was given a private tour by one of the guidesmen. After entering the cave, the French official lost his balance and fell, taking the guidesmen with him, forcing both of them to drop their torches. The torches went out, and both of them were plunged into deep darkness. As they were just beginning their tour, It would be hours before anyone realized that they were lost within the cave. So the guidesmen, having done this trip so many times, crawled back to the entrance based off of his memories of the cave. He was successful, and it made him a town hero. And I bet it gained him a lot of gratitude from the French official. Now he wasn't the only one to do this. Having heard of this guidesman's success and his popularity... One of the local drunks took it upon himself to prove that anyone could do it. So, he had his buddies take him to the cave, put him in the middle of the cave, and then leave. He was not successful. He had to wait for them to come and find him and bring him out of the cave. But don't worry if you decide to visit the cave today. That's not going to happen. Now, if you were going on a tour in the 1800s, it would be widely different compared to what you would experience today. First of all, you would have to be prepared for a strenuous day because it's just not a 90-minute experience of walking and gawking, but eight hours of crawling, climbing, holding torches. That's if you're lucky. If you're not lucky, then you also have to add in the fact that you're helping to carry sections of an iron ladder that in total weighed about 40 pounds. Four hours in, you would stop at the furthest point within the cave. You'd have a lunch and rest before turning around and making the four hours back. Exhausting as that sounds, it was actually really popular. If you don't believe me, wait until you see the signatures scattered throughout the cave. Now today, it is highly illegal to come into the cave and market. You get a hefty fine and a very stern look. But back then, it was the thing you did. By putting your signature on the cave wall, it showed that you had successfully done the tour. 
Names can be found scattered throughout the cave, including on a large rock nicknamed the Rock of Gibraltar. Names have been found on there dating back to 1809. One of the signatures is believed to be a relative of President Madison. However, I was not able to confirm this. The cave expanded from just tours in 1839, when one of its largest rooms was turned into a dance hall. They would host a fall dance there every year. Up to 2,000 candles would be lit, and a band, which would have to drag all of their instruments and equipment into the cave, were hired to provide the music for the night. Possibly up to 200 guests would come in to dance and eat. And they too would have to crawl into the room, as it was located further into the cave. Most of these guests would carry their dance clothes in a bag, rather than have them wear them as they're dragging themselves through the mud to get into the room. As soon as they reached the dance floor, they would slip into a back alcove to get dressed. Just imagine a large, naturally formed room with the music ringing around you. Sounds quite amazing. Something I wish we could do today. Now, the tours didn't stay the same as time changed. In fact, in the 1850s, tour guides were informed not to take guests to a certain section of the cave because of dangerous gases and what could possibly be ghosts of lost tours. The ghosts kept this part of the cave safe until finally some Snoopy tourists went into the room and saw that the owner had been mining the cave for dogtooth spurs to sell. You know, all that's missing is a talking dog, and this would have been a Scooby-Doo episode. Now, the owner wasn't doing anything illegal by doing this. He owned the cave. He simply didn't want anyone to cut into his business. In 1861, the Civil War breaks out, and you would think that cave tourism would decrease. And in the beginning, it looked like it would. The Shenandoah Valley was going to be a major theater in the war, as it provided food for the South and a possible route to invade the North into Maryland and Pennsylvania. It was a little too dangerous for civilians to go and visit the cave. However, in 1862, though tourists slowed down, soldiers started to arrive in the valley. Thomas Jackson, Confederate general, was busy building his reputation as one of the best generals for the Confederacy. In fact, today, the campaign that he will launch in the valley is still one of the most famous and studied in the United States history. After fighting the Battle of Port Republic and Cross Keys on June 8th and 9th in 1862, the Shenandoah Valley campaign came to an end, and the Union Army was forced to evacuate the area. Jackson was about to march east to help the Confederacy protect Richmond from the Union Army. Before his troops left, Jackson allowed them to go visit the famous tourist attraction located just a few miles away from Port Republic. Confederate troops flooded the cave and were given tours. While Jackson himself never went, he was still a part of the cave because as his men went through, they noticed a formation that looked a lot like a horse. And in honor of their general, they named it after his horse, Little Sorrel, or as it's known today as Jackson's Horse. 
During the war, the cave stayed open, with Union and Confederate troops getting tours throughout. One of the most famous signatures located within the cave is W.W. Miles, and it's signed 1864. Historians believe this is Captain William Miles of the 14th Pennsylvania Cavalry. His men were camped on top of the hill that the cave was located in in September 26, 1864. As he was exiting the cave, he heard the sound of gunfire and had to rush to the top of the hill where his men had been ambushed. That doesn't sound like a coincidence to me. Their commanding officer was getting a tour. They knew that he was going to be in there for eight hours. Plenty of time for the Confederates to plan something. Anyway, Miles rushes to the top of the hill to try to restore order, but he and his troops were defeated and forced to flee the area. So while Miles was rushing north to escape the Confederates, his rival in the battle, Captain Asa Rogers of the 1st Virginia Cavalry, got a tour for himself. Bunch of people fighting over an attraction? That sounds just like a normal day in Disney World. While Miles and his troops escaped Rogers, he would die in the war. In fact, he would die just five months before the war ends in Winchester. Now, after the war, the cave went back to business as usual. Around 1809, the owner decided to do some massive improvements, and he decided to use a brand new invention called dynamite. So, something else to know. This cave actually provided funds for the Nobel Peace Prize. But to be fair, virtually everyone did. Because dynamite? Well, everyone was using dynamite. You need to expand a cave entrance? Dynamite! Need to find the ancient city of Troy? Blow it up with dynamite! Want to just blow stuff up for no reason? Dynamite! So the cave was blown up making room for tours to be a simple walkthrough rather than going up and down, climbing, dragging, all that strenuous stuff and cutting down on the amount of hours having to be spent to give a tour. While they were expanding the cave, they went ahead and decided to install electrical lights. This makes it the first electrical lit cave in the U.S. and one of the first electrified attractions within the valley. Probably one of the first buildings electrified in the valley. Most of the valley will not receive electricity until the New Deal acts in the 30s and 40s. As a final improvement on top of the electricity and expanding the cave entrances and connecting the rooms so that the tours could just be a simple walkthrough, they also tried to connect Grand Caverns to Fountain Cave. Now, Fountain Cave is another cave on the same hillside, just a little bit further up and over. However, the company ran out of funds and dynamite before they could reach it. And despite the fact that they were nowhere near Fountain Cave, they were just a couple feet away for stumbling into a new section of Grand Caverns that was not found until the 2000s. This new section will increase the size of the caverns by almost twofold. And by the way, it's not humans who find this entrance. It's actually a service dog who happened to just 
see a hole, jump in it, and hey, guess what? There's a whole new area of caverns here. Now, it's no wonder no one's ever found this new section, because for us to get to it without using our favorite toy dynamite, you have to crawl in a section about 9 inches tall for almost an hour. So those of you who don't like tight spaces, you would never find this section of the cave. Now eventually, this cave becomes a landmark of the valley, and it becomes protected by federal law in the 70s. These laws protect it from further human modifications. So if you visit the cave, you can see a healthy, vibrant cave that's still being able to grow. If you have the chance, I do suggest going to visit the cave. It has beautiful shields and formations, and you can enjoy a tour that's been in operation for over 200 years. Alright, that'll be it for this week. I hope you all had a great Christmas and New Year's. And remember, next week we'll be picking up where we left off with on the Sunbury Wars. I'll see you next Tuesday.